for emergency situations, 20% of uh, encounters is generating probably 40 to 50% of all fees, all charges, and probably 80% of all employee responsible charges. So this is the Solving Healthcare podcast where we uh, seek to identify and promote companies and individuals that are positively disrupting healthcare. And in our first podcast with Quizify, we got to talk and learn a little bit about Al Lewis, how he got started and what his company does. For those of you that do not know Al, he's on a mission to uh, vet out uh, inconsistencies, lies, and deceit from the healthcare system. And uh, he's going to share with us some information about surprise medical bills. So Al, welcome. Well, thank you once again for having me on. I guess I didn't scare you away the first time. No, no, no. I actually, I, I, I when I say the word geek, that I, I affectionately refer to people as that because I, uh, I am a geek, but but uh, some folks are a lot better at it than me. So as a compliment, dude, I, I, uh, oh, okay. I, I bow I, down I, in honor of your geekiness. I, I, I'm blushing here. Thank you. <laughs> so hey, uh, you wanted to talk about surprise medical bills. And I know that there was a, a webinar that happened maybe a month ago. And I think it was unprecedented because there were over 1,200 uh, individuals that had signed on. As, and it may be more than that if, if folks signed on in like a meeting room or something like that. But, but what I want to do is, is uh, obviously give you the stage, but I want to talk and have you, uh, we're going to go through a couple of things. One, what, what is the size of the problem? Um, why does a problem happen? And then what are some solutions that that uh, we could go through to help make this a part of a, I guess, a public service or just shared content so that folks, when they have to go into the healthcare system and stuff happens, stuff that shouldn't be a surprise, it happens and it, it's detrimental um, to the individual's lives that affect, but also the community and the health system in general it gives us a very, very bad reputation. So I'm assuming you want to touch all of those, but is there anything in addition to that, do you want to make sure we, that we address today? Al? Uh, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the difference between um, this surprise medical bill uh, podcast and, and it, anything that I would be doing surprise medical bills and, and essentially anything else in healthcare, any other podcast with anybody, any other webinar is that we're not just describing the problem and talking about, Oh, what can we do about it? There's actually going to be, if you, if people stick to the end of this thing, there's actually going to be an honest to goodness solution that you can implement tomorrow that will solve 70% of the problem. Yeah, and so Al, uh, before you get started, how much of this can be, uh, can you help yourself essentially by having a battle plan or a care plan when you're about to go into an unfamiliar setting? Because I think I think that for me is probably the biggest education point is recognizing that there's going to be surprise stuff that happens to you. So can can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes, there are there there are two types of surprise bills. Well, first of all, the scope of the issue is huge. I mean, it's just, yeah. it, it boggles the mind. Uh, Congress will probably do something about it. Uh, well, and I was going to say, until then, all you have to all you have is what you're going to hear on this webinar. Uh, the one thing that I would, uh, that, that is sort of uh, absolutely worth pointing out first is that this is not uh, an accident. 
Um, this is a deliberate strategy by largely private equity firms uh, who and and who've gone in and they've purchased practices in an area. Now, it, let's say that in a in a mid-sized city, which is where these things tend to happen disproportionately, uh, a mid-sized city might support I don't know, you know, ten anesthesiologists, uh, a city of I don't know, hundred thousand people. Now, if those 10 anesthesiologists are practicing in five groups, they can't all get together over lunch and say, hey, let's all go out and network, or hey, let's all say we won't you know, do a, you know, a surgery for less than X amount of money. That's not legal. However, if somebody comes in and says, hey, we'll buy your anesthesiology practice and we'll pay you what you're making now with a chance to make more, and they do that for all five practices, well, now it's not collusion anymore because it's all owned by one entity. And they then make a decision to basically tell the hospitals to, you know, go, go to a place that I'm probably not allowed to say on a podcast across state lines. You know? <laughs> uh, and and in actually Houston, where you are, is is a major place where this happens. And one health plan told me, I have no idea if it's accurate, so I won't tell you the health plan, but you've heard of it, that in fact, in their in-network emergency rooms, quite literally zero emergency docs are in the network themselves, even though the hospitals are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, Houston-wide, it's close to 70% of ER docs are not contracted. And you almost want to find the 30 that are and, and ask, you know. Well, why, what's, how, why are you so stupid? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you're right. It's not an uncommon problem. And it's yeah. one of those things that uh, the insurance companies don't have a good answer. Unless but, you're self-funded and you say, "Hey, just we'll pay bill charges," which that's that's not a good answer either. But uh, you know, that, that's that's what managed care was supposed to solve, and now yeah, it's back yeah. again, and even more. And, and the funny thing is, so I have a, a, a close connection with a, a private equity company that shall go unnamed. And uh, so when I I go to their meetings and they talk about how um, you know how well they're different or badly their different investments are doing. Uh, and I'm sitting there, and then they're saying how they're talking about, I'm not going to tell you the names of the companies, but they have three companies that, in fact, have done exactly what I've described. Wow. And they're telling everybody how well these companies are doing. And I'm saying, oh, my goodness, they're doing exactly what I tell people to watch out for. This is, I am in the belly of the beast. Yeah. So 364 days a year. You know, I'm uh, inveighing against these people, and one day a year, I'm hearing how well they're doing. Um, wow. So, wow, yeah. wow, wow. So, what, uh, with that in mind, um, you know, obviously there is a problem, and I think we could probably talk for an hour on the size of the problem and how many areas that it just infiltrates within any health plan. Um, uh, walk me through. Uh, obviously, you've got Quizify's solution up here. Um, I'll walk through. You have outlined some solutions, um, and what else? What else do you want to make sure that you emphasize as uh, how to manage the problem? Okay, so so let's cut right to the chase. Yep. The beauty of this is that that you know our last podcast lasted considerably longer than this one needs to last because this one has a solution. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're going to separate the issue into elective, which we've already described, where. You're pretty much on your own. I mean, we can educate employees. In fact, Quizify does educate employees to help them try to avoid these things. But if they sign those papers, you know, they're they're kind of stuck. 
uh, on the electives. There's nothing, there's no law that protects them. There's no law that helps them negotiate. But now let's talk about emergencies. Let's talk about emergency room visits and let's talk about emergency admissions. So this is what you need to have in your wallet when you, or in your, on your Apple phone or, iPhone or Android when you go in the door, which is, and just by way of background, uh, there is something called the uh, Federal Emergency uh, Management and Active Labor, uh, Emergency Treatment and Active Labor uh, Act of 1986. Okay. That, um, that it's sometimes called the anti-dumping law, which means that when you show up as an emergency, you have to be treated. Even if it means you're getting admission, admitted, even if it means you're getting transferred, you have to be treated. They can't just... As long as there's some kind of consent, whether it's you, if you're unconscious, you know, some next of kin, uh, there's implied consent where um, you, you know, you're bleeding out, you've been shot or something, and it's assumed you want it to be treated. But most of the time when you get to an ER, you or your partner is affirmatively consenting to treatment. Now, they will stick, and these days it's generally electronic, they will stick a bunch of papers in front of you, and 99.9% .9 of people will sign those papers. Of those 99%, probably 99% of the 99.9% .9 don't realize they don't have to sign those papers. All they have to do is consent to treatment. So you could just actually write down a piece of paper, I consent to treatment, don't say anything about uh, what the charge is, and then they can charge you whatever they want and you can go to court and you can argue it. And, you know, these attorneys who <laughs> will help you will have a case, but you can go one step farther. And this is, I'm going to just hit the button here and you can actually create a, uh, a consent form that is uh, essentially, as you can see, one sentence, uh, cut it up, put it in your wallet, put it in your bike bag, your motorcycle bag, your, you know, your glove compartment, uh, any place you think you might be when you're going to have an emergency. Obviously, you don't know. That's what makes an emergency. So you, yeah, but, sorry, Michael. Now, what I'm hearing you say is that first and foremost, if you, let's just say you're unconscious, you're in an accident, and you end up in the emergency room, there's implied treatment. And what you're saying is essentially is have a battle plan before anybody sees you, even if you're unconscious. Right. And that battle plan is have something on your person that's fairly obvious that an, a, a, somebody in the health emergency field would be able to find easily, correct? Exactly. And so uh, now what I'm seeing on this is that it basically it's a sentence that you, you, you could have in your wallet. You can have it like taped to your ID card if you have that in your wallet, on your iPhone. You can have it or whatever phone you have, but essentially it says you consent to appropriate treatment not to exceed up to two times the Medicare rate. Now, for folks that don't understand the range of value of Medicare, can you talk about why two, per, two times is important and what do you typically see in the, in the emergency space as a, as a percentage of Medicare? Uh, okay, so the, the, the Medicare rates are vastly lower than the commercial rates. Sometimes oh, yeah, com understood. Right, the commercial rates are, can be 10 to 20 times. Um, why two? Well, the two is rather arbitrary, but we picked a number, I picked a number that uh, has a, a, enough reasonability to it that the hospital can't, 
go in and say, oh, you know, um, this isn't fair. They didn't negotiate the Medicare rate. Uh, Medicare, the Medicare rate is what we charge Medicare. But if you have a number that's over the Medicare rate, buy enough that it's a reasonable rate that a non-Medicare, non-negotiating person could be expected to pay, that argument goes away. So that's why it's two times. And in fact, if you look at Montana, uh, where uh, Marilyn Bartlett has negotiated in advance, not, not for out-of-network, but for in-network, um, she has negotiated a rate that is very much like this. So two seems to be kind of the magic number here. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you pay more than that, well, you're going to pay more than that. If you try to pay much less, they may end up going to court and saying inadequacy of consideration or something like that. Well, two but also, I, two, I, I agree with you, and I was just curious as to what the rationale was behind two times. Um, and it seems like there is a precedent when you look at plan sponsors that are embracing reference-based pricing. Most stop-loss providers give some level of allowance for negotiation for the reference-based providers that do that for up to two times understand that you're not going to do every time, but there's some jurisdictions. So in this case, if if you're an emergency room admissions person and you see this, um, at least you can say, hey, well, I'm going to get better than Medicare. Uh, right. I'm not yeah. exactly sure what it will be, but that's a that's a reasonable determinant where you can say, okay. But what what do you typically see in the so, range of values? Or if you want, it sounds like you want to say something else. So go ahead. Okay, so, so, so well, two, two things. First of all, the range of values, I would generally see a, a four to a 20. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so the, the lower the, the service, like a lab or something, the higher the markup. Mm -hmm. But if, in fact, the, mar the markup is too low, and I'm, I'm doing this kind of reverse order here. I probably should have mentioned this one first. But if the markup is too low, a savvy emergency room person, and they're probably most, two-thirds of them are not savvy enough to do this, We'll just say, you know something, we'll treat you and we'll work it out later. Mm -hmm. And if you go in and you say one times Medicare and they say, no, I'm not signing it. We're going to treat you. We're required to treat you. We'll figure it out later. I, I think I don't want to be in court representing the patient. If the patient said one times Medicare and there was no meeting of the minds for what the actual rate was going to be, I, I don't want to have to be negotiating that later. Whereas if they reject two times Medicare, I feel like if, in fact, it ever came down to a court case, which 99% of the time it won't, I'm in really good shape. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that being said, this is part of your battle plan of saying, okay, on your person, it's almost like not a tattoo, but, but essentially it's a statement that says, hey, look, treat me if you must. I'm going to be responsible for charges, but I'm not going to pay any more than up to two times the right. Medicare rate. Now, now, Michael, there's one other very important sure, word sure. in this, in this uh, one sentence, which is the word appropriate. Uh, because many times people are either given inappropriate treatments or things that they, I mean, there was a case, the one example we used in the, in the webinar that you referred to earlier, the one where we had like, as you say, well over 1,200, actually including people who signed up afterwards, it's now close to 1,400 people. Um, it, the thing that we met, we saw in the actual bill that was presented in that webinar was a woman who was not of childbearing age getting billed for a, uh, a pregnancy test. Wow. Okay, so it's not enough to, to just hit the charges. You have to hit the appropriateness too. And that's why that word appropriate is pretty critical. And if you think about it, a hospital could, and certainly 
people have been known to do this, um, get to uh, make up for what they uh, lose on unit pricing by, by giving people a whole ton of things and trying to build for them individually. Yeah, so let me ask you, I mean, that's, that's an example of a gross, grossly negligent charge, right? But what, 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 where would you define the lines of appropriateness? And I'll, I'll give you an example. A good buddy of mine, um, he slipped and fell when we were out to eat. And it was one of those, he kind of, he had a little too much to drink, but, but he had essentially a cut on the side of his head that uh, was pretty big. And I tried to go to a normal hospital emergency room, but we were closest to a freestanding one. And you walk in there, first thing you ask, they ask you for is your insurance card, which they shouldn't do that. But those guys lit up like a Christmas tree simply because they tested him for almost anything they could possibly think of. And I would argue that a lot of the services that he had were, were not appropriate, but how would, how would you arbitrate what's appropriateness in that given situation? Well, that's a great question. And the answer is there is no easy answer. However, absent that word, he could be charged for everything. Yeah, yeah. Put that word in and now you have a basis for negotiation. So that's, that's observation okay. one. Now observation two on what you just said, which is equally important, is that you mentioned freestanding emergency rooms. There is an asterisk to this freestand to this um, consent that we're talking about here. Uh, it's a nuance, but it's a very important nuance, which is that this consent is only binding at emergency rooms, freestanding or not, which are attached to a hospital. Because if you don't have a hospital license, you're not covered by this, uh, the uh, Femtala, it's called. Okay. Um, and therefore, you, you, you don't have to assign, uh, you know, uh, you don't have to treat people when they come in. And in uh, about half of all freestanding ERs are not affiliated with a hospital. They're investor-owned. In most states, most uh, ERs are investor-owned. But I'm glad you mentioned your, your, your friend with the accident because it, it is important to know that this is not going to work in every freestanding ER. Mm -hmm. They will still continue to light up like a Christmas tree. You can still ask them to sign this thing. They're just yeah. not, okay. they, they can just tell you, no, no, we're not interested. Well, yeah, I mean, it, to me, the, the fact that they're investor owned, to, it just means you're just setting yourself up to uh, egregious overcharges. And so that's, that's a different uh, topic of conversation for, a different time, so yeah. Now, now, I'm, I'm sorry, just just one one just nuance on the nuance, Michael. Is that is that if the uh, a lot of these investor-owned ERs are affiliated with investor-owned hospitals, and yeah, they yeah. are covered. It's the ones that are just the straight investor-owned ERs that aren't covered. Yeah, understand. Okay, so uh, that being said, uh, this is a battle plan. What what else did you want to make sure we covered? In this, uh, actually, that's it. I mean, this is, this is it. You know, this is, we have a solution to a problem. And I don't think in the history of vendors, any vendor has actually solved a problem with a piece of paper. This is a first. Yeah, well, so, go, back, go back to your uh, emergency consent quantify. Okay. So the previous time. Right. There you go. And so you have download the solution now. Okay, so you're offering an elegant solution. And essentially it is be prepared. Have this in your have this in your possession. So whether you're conscious or not, present this as part of the admission process. So the, the other thing I want to add is that if in fact you hit uh, follow on Quizify on LinkedIn or, 
or get on our mailing list here, we're gonna have an Apple Wallet version of this probably in about two or three weeks. So we'll make sure that you get on the, uh, you know, the list for getting the Apple Wallet version. Thank you for listening to this episode of Solving Healthcare. If you like this episode, please rate it and also provide your comments. If you would like to know how this service or others could fit within your organization, or if you'd like to sign up for future podcasts and news updates, please go to www.solvinghealthcare.net and click on contact. Thank you.